Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, welcome to the Horse Owl podcast. Today my guest is Steph Erdley. She's a Grand Prix dressage rider and recently has competed at her first international show. We're very excited to have Steph join us to tell us how did she get to the international level. On top of that, she's a judge, so she's going to give us some advice on what judges look out for. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to Horse Hour. My guest today is a Grand Prix dressage rider. She has recently come back from her first international show. Not only is she an international para coach and a dressage trainer, but she's also been a dressage judge. Steph, how are you? Hello, I'm I'm good, thank you. I'm really, really keen to talk to you because I feel like you have the inside scoop on... Well, you've got the judges' perspective, so you know what judges will be looking for when we're competing. Yes, yes. I mean, I uh, obviously recently retired from being a judge because um, it, you do have to devote quite a lot of time to doing it. Um, you know, you have to undergo quite a lot of training and obviously be available to go to all the shows. And at the minute, my competition career is uh, taking off, so I've I've resigned from that for the minute. But uh, yes, um, it does give you quite a good insight, especially if you're riding as well, um, you know, uh, to, to know exactly how to present your horse in a really good way so that you can gain a few extra marks. Um, also, what the judges are looking for in the horse's way of going. Um, you know, if you're looking at the outline of the horse, how, what it should actually look like, um, everything. It, it's, uh, it's fascinating, really. I think it's key to be a judge because it will help you with your, with your instructing when you're coaching because you know what they're looking for. Well, I would say that uh, judging and um, teaching are, yes, you, you do know what the judge is looking for, but actually coaching is, is just very different. You're always working on the horse's way of going. The, the judging is a snapshot in time of you know what happens in those four and a half to five and a half minutes really of your test and, and the, I think the one thing that's crucial about uh, about a test is that it's the movements on demand you know that you don't get a second go at doing a circle you don't get a second go at going off into canter so I think that's where unless your horse is actually really established at a level that's where you could easily not get a good mark because mm. um you know, you have to have that on-demand button of uh, that with, with your horse. Whereas at home, when you're when you're coaching or training, you know, you might go, oh no, and again, because it, it needs to be more round, or you know, you need more engagement. Well, I think test riding is actually it's a, it's a technique. You know, it's like a presentation of the sh- of your you showing off your horse really. I love the fact that you've called it a snapshot of your riding because, yeah, I'd never thought of it like that. It is just, it's like a showcase, isn't it? A snippet. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is really. And I think actually it's quite important in training at home to practice your test. Not so much that it becomes too over familiar for the horse because sometimes they get a bit cheeky and start taking over. <laughs> um, 
But it's important that you can ride a centre line on demand and you could do a halt and the horse doesn't move and you can ride aspects of the test so it's familiar to you um, rather than, you know, just just riding randomly and only ever working on the way of going. You've got to incorporate that as well as bits of the test because it is just literally, you know, can you do all these things in that time frame, in that size arena and in front of somebody when someone's looking, mm. you know? It's very easy, I think, as a spectator when you're looking at the snapshots and you're going, wow, it's amazing. They make it look so easy. But that's the key. It's years of hard work that's made it look that easy. It's, it's not the fact that it is easy. Yeah, no, exactly. And actually, sometimes it's the ones that just look, everything is easy and nothing is maybe not even spectacular. It's all smooth. You know, they do smooth corners, they do fairly smooth transitions, um, you know, everything looks easy and, and well, look, that horse looks like it's doing on its, it's on its own. That, that's when those people win. It might not have the biggest trot and then it goes into, can, you know, breaks into canter or it might um, have, you know, the, the biggest canter stride, but then it can't do, collect back to walk. Sometimes the flashiest horse isn't, isn't the one that wins the test because it's the one that is the neatest, does everything really neatly and correctly um that is the winner that's really interesting because you quite often uh, have three well you have three judges and you quite often have quite a difference sometimes in the scoring with each of them and i think i wonder if there's personal preference that's coming into that do you do you have to actively say I, i'm not going to have any emotional attachment here is there a certain way that you judge um you you can't have any emotional attachments to anything that comes into the ring whether that's horse or rider um because at the end of the day it, it's a test of how do they perform can they do the requirements of the test and the requirements of the specific movements one judge might like a horse a little bit more than another judge they might think it's a bit more got a bit more expression or um you know it's a, it's um they might see a, a, a quality in it a more positive quality than than the other judge who thinks it's lacking something so you know sometimes the judge might be a little bit more generous on on, on a horse's way of going uh but i don't think it's generally emotional um oh but you see that's yeah, why you're yeah, that's a good that be, i think that's why you're a good judge and I'd be a rubbish judge because I'm a sucker for black horses. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd have far too much emotional connection. And if they came in looking, looking pretty and they sprung a little bit, I'd go, oh, love it. And then that would be it. <laughs> oh, well, well, let me know when you're judging and I'll bring a black horse. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, well, you're a retired judge now because you're competing yourself and you have recently come back from your first international. The congratulations, first of all, because that's amazing to go international. Where was that you went oh um i was lucky enough to be selected to ride in france and we went to a, a show in a place called deauville which is in normandy um and it's a beautiful beautiful center i've been there before when i was um coaching the para team for hong kong because they have a, an international para show there so i i had already been to the showground um so i knew the lay the layout of it and it is it is stunning um you know, and it's hard work to get to compete um, at an international show, especially if you are riding for Britain, because they have, we have quite a strict qualification system and you have to attend certain shows in, in Britain and gain certain qualifying scores and a certain number of qualifying scores. And then, you know, you have to put your name for it. It's not just as simple as, oh, I entered the show in France. 
I had to get the qualifying <laughs> scores at the certain shows in England, and then I had to go on this list, and then you have three selectors who pick who can go to what shows. And there's a lot of shows in Europe, and every, everybody wants to go to all the shows because it's you know great fun and exciting to ride with the flag on your um, jacket. But it's actually really hard because there's so much competition. You know, you've, you've got to be picked to go. So mm. that, that's, uh, that took me about 12 months to get picked to actually go. But um, yes, that was, it was good. I, uh, great sense of achievement. It's amazing. I'm surprised it only takes 12 months, though. Is that from when you started going through the selection process? Because I'm presuming uh, it takes years to get to that level. Um. Well, it's taken, training the horse has taken obviously a long time to get to that level. Um, and then once you, it, probably you could qualify fairly quickly. You have to go to what they call Premier League shows, which are the big shows in England. And there's only about seven of those every year. Um, or a high profile show, there's a couple of those. And that means it's basically like an elite show. And you have to get a score a 67 uh, twice um, in those type of shows. Um, but I think getting selected, that's fairly easy to do. But getting selected, because, the, for example, at Hartbury, they have an international, and that's in, in the UK. There were 92 people applied for 14 places. So wow. the popularity is, is, what, is what makes it difficult to be selected. I mean, say 10 years ago, it wasn't that difficult to get selected because you've got to think the sport of dressage has grown so much. Um, it's now incredibly competitive. You know, it's, it's, it's got more competitive. I remember going to watch Hartbury when it, well, might, might have been 2003 maybe. Or, um, and that's kind of, they just started running internationals there and there were about seven competitors. <laughs> and now it's one of the biggest shows on, on the calendar in British dressage, you know. So times have changed and that, that's why it's, yeah, it's hard to get into now, hard to get your place. I couldn't even imagine only like seven people competing because I'm so passionate about dressage. I love it. I've loved it since I was a little girl and I'm so proud of the fact that it has come so far. Um, and and I, I'm guessing, I can only imagine how I would feel if I was in your shoes, that it must mean more if you're being selected out of 92 riders now and because the demand's so high yes i mean it it is a great achievement to to get selected to go to one of these shows like i i've been you know waitlisted for for so many shows for over 12 months and my i didn't think my chance was ever going to come uh and then obviously eventually it has but you know even so it's still then you still got to get selected for another one and that that I might be waiting another another six months for that. <laughs> oh wow, really? Yeah, so, so you only get selected per show, so you might not. Yes, if you don't do yeah. well enough, you can't get to another one. Um, no, once you're qualified, you can then get selected for another show. Um, but you know, like I say, the the volume of people. For example, I I was um, hoping to go to Belgium, and I have just been emailed today. There's one place in Belgium it's already been allocated to one British rider and wow. so unless British dressage are able to um, be awarded some more spaces no other competitor can go to that show from the whole of Great Britain so that's you, crazy you know, it's so hold on, hold on. As everyone thinks who makes up these rules and says as to how many people can actually go <laughs> 
Um, I, I don't know. It's obviously the show organising committee, and um, I think normally, normally it works something like if you're the host nation, you have so many slots, and then the rest of the the slots at the show are given to anybody from the whole world. So basically, say for example, at Hartford, there's thirty five spaces. They're allocated. 15 or maybe 18 feet the UK because we're the host nation that's our in our country the rest of the spaces are then allocated to other countries um and you can invite I don't know two riders per nation or three riders per nation but it's open to you know everybody America Australia New Zealand Germany everywhere around the world so that's why the allocation of of spaces can often be quite small for other countries but how is that? That's not unless 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 um, you have the same allocation for every competition or every show. How can that be fair? Because if, if if Great Britain are only allocated one in Germany, but they might be allocated three in America or Australia, um, surely it should be if you're the host country, you get given fifteen, and everybody else gets three slots. So no matter what show you go to, you know that the same allocation it's the same allocation for each country. Surely that would be fairer. Um, I, I guess so, but I, I don't quite know how they work it. Um, you know, and it would depend. Say that nobody from America wants to go, then the, their slots will get redistributed amongst the rest of the countries that do want to go. Um, but I don't know. It will be some FEI rule in the FEI rule book, um, which I don't know inside and out. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, I don't. I don't quite know how how they allocate it, but it, it does depend on who's going as to then how many more spaces may or may not be available. Mm. Well, massive congratulations for going. Um, I might phone the FEI and have a little word and say this isn't fair <laughs> and we need to change the whole system because Amy says so. Um, but what was it like then when you've obviously you got selected and then you had to fly out there? I, I, you don't get much notice before you go. And then it was a bit of a panic because I had to mo- get my lorry modified to go on the ferry and you have to sort out health papers for your horse and... You know, there's so much to sort out, so many little things that you wouldn't even ever think about, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, it all got sorted out. I, I also knew nobody that was going from Britain. And I just randomly contacted someone on the list uh, via Facebook and just turned out that they were they were very nice. And I met them at the ferry. I, I drove my lorry to the ferry and I met them at the ferry and then I followed them to the show. So um, that was great. So I, I met a friend because I had to go on my own. I had no one to go with me, um, which was really quite uh, unusual. Mostly, mostly someone has uh, somebody to go with. But I, all my friends were working or had weddings to attend when it was the show. Oh, no. So I know, but that was okay. I mean, I, I'm used to going to shows on my own, and to be honest, I just need a hand getting on. And then once I'm on, I'm normally very self-sufficient. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was great. You know, we were the first people there, but the next day, uh, the, some more of the British riders arrived, um, and everybody from the other nations started arriving. It, it was very, very friendly. It was a really, really nice show. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The organizers were great. You know, good weather. That helps, doesn't it? Uh, everything was great. <laughs> it does. It's nice. <laughs> It's nice that they're supportive for you, especially if you're going by yourself, because it's a big thing. Now, I don't think, you know, you can be at the top of your game, but you still need that emotional support and that just somebody next to you to say, it's okay, you're doing really well, keep calm, you'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, it, it was just so friendly. And um, I think those other British riders, obviously, they've already several of them have been to an international before so they probably knew how the new ones of us were feeling um and it and it was really really good really really helpful um you know especially when you're not you're out there with well you know some of them had their own coach or whatever but uh when you're completely self-sufficient you do need like you say someone to go yeah that was really good or oh it doesn't matter you'll be better tomorrow anything like that it's always mm. helpful so yeah. how did you get on Steph? Oh, well, um, I played safe the first test because my horse is very, very sensitive to noise. And I'd had a real problem the week before at Hartbury where she was just beside herself. I mean, nuts. But very luckily, someone had lent me these um, ear covers, which um, they have a, a soundproofing in them, so they can't really hear anything. <laughs> and that basically saved saved my bacon. Um, she's so, so frightened. And and, and over there, the judges' hut were like mini marquees. They were made out of these plastic, flappy stuff. Um, and she mm. hates all that. So, of course, with the ear covers on, she couldn't really hear that. Um, once you're in the test, um, it's fine because the little tents are, have to be, I think, five metres away from the side. So they're not right at the edge. And once you're in the ring, the horses normally feel quite comforted about being in something that's very familiar to them. So then that was okay. Mm. So I, I played safe and just 
got a 66 burn a half um, and that was good um, and then on the next day I went for a bit more go but I had a few mistakes because then she gets a bit quick and a bit sharp and and a bit buzzy but it was a good ex- a good learning experience really I, I found a lot more out about the horse you know and if you're making the step up to the next level which is going to be Grand Prix you really have to have so many of your problems ironed out because you know everything happens so fast in a Grand Prix test you actually haven't really got time to change very much you've literally only got the short ends well really only one short end which is the top YA there are other short ends you're normally doing something like you're going you know a rain back or something or you know something's happening but the only real short end where you're kind of doing nothing is by A um, so there's no time you see so you have to iron all these problems of uh, you know them not being on your aid or being distracted or whatever it might be or, need, or, or you think oh I might need a different bit all those things have to be worked out before you make that jump and that for me was a really good stepping stone of finding a bit more out about the horse in a, in a much more pressured environment. Well, you've done it, which is amazing. So what, what happens now then? Do you, have you been, do you, do you try for a selection again? Yeah, so um, like I said, waitlisted at the minute for Belgium. Ideally, I'd like to go to there because then after that, I would like to concentrate on just getting the one-time changes a bit easier because she's not so easy in those um she wasn't a very easy horse to train to do flying changes anyway. And I got kind of stuck at medium level for about three years where she wouldn't do a flying change. She was just a nightmare. Um, <laughs> so her training the one-time changes was never going to be very straightforward. And it, and it isn't straightforward with her. Uh, everything else she can do, all the rest of the things, she's very good at everything else apart from that. Of course, in that Grand Prix test, you've got to do 15. <laughs> like I mentioned about five. Oh no <laughs> I'm ten short so, short so far <laughs> what is it about the flying changes then that she struggles with okay so when she was younger she didn't have a very strong hind leg and that's got a lot better through training she's got a lot stronger and a lot quicker and uh, more flexible with her joints but that has really been a product of coming to a more advanced level and learning things like pf and passage that's made her stronger and the pirouettes mm. have made her stronger. Whereas before, because she was very long, she had a big paces, but she always propelled herself onto the forehand a bit. And when they're on the forehand, then they're not connected properly. So what she couldn't do enough of was sit um, and ch- change the weight behind to the new hind leg. And also she got very stressed about it. And like I said, she can get quite upset about things. So I did spend quite a lot of time with her, with her head in the air, just taking off when she got a bit panicked. And when you, when you're teaching a horse something new, of course you can't really tell them off because then they get more panicked. But equally, you <laughs> have to correct them because they're they're not doing it how they're meant to be. But you know, it's only a horse at the end of the day. It actually doesn't really understand. <laughs> so she did. <laughs> she didn't understand for a very long time, and she's not really the cleverest horse. But then the, the thing was, once she could do a flying change. And it, I could do it on demand. You know, I was saying earlier about things have to be on demand. I went from not being able to do doing them, you know, for three years to suddenly one day she could do it. And then within two months <laughs> she was doing into one because I, everything else was ready. If she could do all the other things, she just couldn't do this, this flying change thing. So 
and now of course it's easy it's easy but of course we still have the problem with the one times because obviously she was never really quick in the brain and she was never really so good at carrying herself on her hind legs and for the one time changes they have to be uh find the rhythm and she doesn't understand the rhythm at the moment because it's a sort of you know skipping rhythm isn't it that's what it looks like Mm. and she can't quite work it out so she'll do some when she's relaxed and then if she starts thinking oh this is a bit hard then of course when I get a tense horse um it doesn't work so I have to Mm. try and train relaxation into a horse that's a little bit nervy um as well as trying to teach it something it's struggling (laughs) to work out um but it'll be fine you know you have to give a horse like that it just has to have time it just has to have time that's all but how lovely that you gave her 3 years to give her a chance to learn it and to get her head around it there's a lot of patience there i don't i don't know if it was lovely it was just no choice <laughs> No, but a lot of, you know, there are some people that would have said, right, well, after two years, this horse isn't going to get it. I need to start looking at getting another horse and finding one. Maybe I've taken her as far as I can. But actually, you just kept going. It's lovely. Yeah, no, I mean, like, she was a good horse, but I did, I did think, I think everybody thought that they, that she was never going to do it. Um, and so actually, it was a bit of a surprise, really. I think that the reason, uh, if I'm honest, the reason I kept kept going was because I had actually tried to sell her, but she's actually really quite sharp and nobody would buy her. Oh, no. (laughs) So uh, there was only one way around it. I had to to make it happen, Um, you know, so poor... Poor Princess Pepsi, she, she, but she, you know, she's a good girl now. She <laughs> understands it now. She just wasn't so, uh, so easy. But then, you know, it doesn't matter. They can, it shows you that if you, if you wait long enough, sometimes it happens. <laughs> That's my point. Absolutely. It's, it's about having patience and not giving up. And although, okay, you were forced into that position a little bit, I think it's even nicer now that people never thought it was going to happen. And now you've just proved that with patience and time, you can make it happen. And it's at the horse's pace. You know, like you said, it was all about fear um, for her She and confusion. She didn't really understand how to do it. Um, and they can get it after a while. You know, it doesn't need to be forced no. into them. But I've got to ask you, Steph, when you've, when you've worn the great British flag... And, you know, you've represented your country. Are you then allowed to wear the flag at any future event? Or is it only certain events that you're allowed to to have it on your saddle and your clothing? Um, I think you, could, you have a pocket badge on your jacket. And so I think that's allowed to stay on for a certain amount of years. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not actually sure I'd have to read the rule book. So, yes, now I can walk around and just, you know... In my lapel, showing it to everybody. But I tell you, it's smaller. It's smaller than a postage stamp. Everyone will need a magnifying glass. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And Esteve, you're also kind enough to help riders as well as your instructing. You also teach para riders, but um, you also help people with their floor plans, don't you? There's a company called Equidance who we've teamed up with because if you've heard the horse hour podcast then you would have heard our dressage to music podcasts um, which is music that you can download to and compete affiliated or unaffiliated any competition you can take the music to 
and it's ready-made pieces of music. Um, it goes up to basically any level. And Steph, you kindly create the floor plans. So the, the music can be downloaded and you can make up your own floor plan. You can have a little play with it. But if they'd like a little bit of help with their choreography, um, then they can contact us and you're the one that puts it together. So how do you start creating the floor plans? Do you just plan it, think of it yourself or do you actually work with people? Well, every floor plan has to uh, benefit the horse and rider. So for each level, there's different requirements, you know, whatever level you're doing, there's a list of things you have to do. But obviously, to, to get the best mark, you have to, as you say, have a neat, smooth test. So I would always ask uh, the rider, you know, a lot of questions about their horse. I'd like to get a bit of information, how long maybe they've been at the level, um, how confident they feel they are at the level, um, what are they really confident doing, is there anything they're not unsure about? You know, and they might say, oh, you know, but my horse can only do a simple change on a, on a half circle or, oh, I must, uh, the walk is terrible. I need to do it at the far end away from the judge. So when I get all that information and I ask them all about the, what, you know, about the, how does the horse walk? What, uh, how does it trot? Can they do, you know, uh, work off the side? Because obviously you've got to make their floor plans interesting. Um, mm. what, what's the canter like? Do they can they do it on you know on the, the canter on the diagonal, or, or are they happy to do given retakes or whatever it might be? Um, I try and get a feel over the phone by about their competence and also what they like. You know what they really like doing with their horse. Oh, you know they'll often say, "Oh, they, my horse got the most amazing medium trot." So then I can make the most of that and put it in. You know maybe at the end make it a spectacular finish for them. Um, so, yeah, it's about really getting a lot of rider feedback um, about how their horse and, and then perform together. Um, and also, it's, you know, do, is the horse stiff one way? Um, often you'll start on the, the easier way so that the horse is more warmed up and more relaxed so that when you change the rein, it's not as obvious that the horse is stiff on the, on the new direction. Um, you know, some horses need to be kept busy. You can make the test a bit more chop and change between the paces. Some horses don't like it it has to be very tailored to each rider and each horse so that you mm. basically present a really harmonious picture for the judge because that that's what wins prizes harmonious picture <laughs> i'm trying to picture me and blackjack the one thing that we're not is harmonious I think a, I think a uh, you know he has a magnificent trot. He's a Frisian cross Gelderlander, um, but we still can't canter, um, and the canter yeah. is more like a leap a leapfrog. Um, so yeah, if we can just do a walk and trot test to music, that would that would be amazing. Um, but I haven't found any walk and trot test to music <laughs> yet, so I think I might have to create one. The great thing is when you download the, the this music, just head to horsehour.co.uk and um, you can download the ready made music. There are generic floor plans if you want to have a play, but then if you'd like to have a bespoke piece, then uh, then you can contact us and Steph, you'll put that together. Steph, thank you so much for joining us. No, that's been great. Um, uh, you know, and that's uh, hopefully giving people a little bit of insight into how to get to an international show. <laughs> keep going. That's what I get yes, from it. Don't going. stop. Don't give up. Keep going. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, and my fingers are tightly crossed for you to get into Belgium. Do let us know how you get on. Will do. Thank you so much. 
Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can catch up with all previous episodes of the Horse Hour podcast on our website. Just head to horsehour.co.uk. And if you'd like to be on the show, then listen to Horse Hour Live. I'm live every Monday evening between 8 and 9pm. That's UK time. And I play a bit of music and we chat about everything that's worrying us in the equestrian world. Tonight's episode is about young horses. When do you think it's too young to train a young horse? We've had lots of debates lately on Horse Hour on Twitter about whether two, three or even four is too young to be training a horse and it can be anything from dressage to jumping so I'm really keen to get your view on young horses. Just head to our website horsehour.co.uk and you can listen live this evening. Drop me a direct message and you can be on the show. Hope you have a really good week with your horse and I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.